Hi, my name is Andrew Chamberlain and I'm a writer and creative writing tutor and you are listening to episode three of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your writing. In the first episode, I talked about five techniques you can use to help show your readers something rather than tell them. And in this episode, I'm going to be focusing on one of those techniques, and that is being sparse and specific in your descriptions. So what do I mean by being sparse and specific? Well, if we think about characterization first, I believe that if you want to create a successful character, you need to give him or her a small number of very specific characteristics. They need to be very distinct, and there needs to be just enough of them for the reader to understand who the character is. I want to give you a couple of examples, one from the world of film and one from literature. In the early 20th century, Charlie Chaplin created a tramp character who became an icon of silent films. In describing the creation of the character, Chaplin said this, I wanted everything to be a contradiction, the pants baggy, the coat tight, the hat small and the shoes large. I added a small moustache which, I reasoned, would add age without hiding my expression. I had no idea of the character, but the moment I was dressed, the clothes and makeup made me feel the person he was. I began to know him, and by the time I walked on stage, he was fully born. It's interesting to note that Chaplin lists just five features, and that's enough for him to know who the character is. And he had to create this character without the benefit of giving him any dialogue. Chaplin's tramp had to work through the visual cues the audience received. In this case, the cues were trousers and shoes that were too big, jacket and hat that were too small, and a little moustache. And so from these few details, a character is born. Let's consider another example, a character from literature. Charles Dickens was a prolific 19th century English writer. In 1861, he published his novel, Great Expectations, which featured one of his more memorable characters, Miss Havisham. We don't need to discuss the plot of the book here. Suffice it to say that Dickens creates a vivid character with just a few very specific details. Here are some of the things we find out about this character. She inherits money at a young age and then falls in love with a man who only wants to swindle her out of her wealth. On her wedding day, at precisely 20 minutes to nine, whilst dressing, she gets a letter from her husband-to-be. He has left her and she realises she has been defrauded. She is left humiliated and heartbroken. The wedding breakfast is left to decay on the table and she lives alone in her crumbling mansion where she spends her days in her wedding dress. All of the clocks in her house have been stopped at the time she received the fateful letter, 20 to nine. Now again, using perhaps half a dozen details, Dickens gives us a physical and psychological portrait of a character and her setting. And the point in both these examples is that we don't just get a series of descriptions, we get to know who the character is. Here is a short excerpt of his description of the environment she lives in. Dresses less splendid than the dress she wore, and half-packed trunks were scattered about. She had not quite finished dressing, for she had but one shoe on. The other was on the table near her hand. Her veil was half arranged, her watch and chain were not put on, and some lace for her bosom lay with those trinkets and with her handkerchief and gloves and some flowers and a prayer book, all confusedly heaped about the looking glass. By using just a few very specific details, Dickens has shown us this character, frozen in time, at that moment when her world fell apart. It is as if the scene has captured the fateful moment and Miss Havisham is trapped. And the point is, Dickens is showing us the consequences of what has happened. And because we've seen the impact on Miss Havisham, we have also worked out who she is. 
The same thing can be done with scene. I'm going to read you some excerpts from the opening of the book Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Manderley is a fictional stately home that forms the setting for the novel, and du Maurier skillfully sets the scene for her reader in the first few paragraphs. Last night I dreamt I went to Manderley again. I came upon it suddenly, the approach masked by the unnatural growth of a vast shrub that spread in all directions. There was Manderley, our Manderley, secretive and silent as it had always been, the grey stone shining in the moonlight of my dream, the mullioned windows reflecting the green lawns and terrace. Time could not wreck the perfect symmetry of those walls, nor the site itself, a jewel in the hollow of a hand. So let's look at what Du Maurier does in this description. We get just five or six actual elements of description of the house and grounds. But can you see how the author has given the description a rich mood and atmosphere? The setting is nighttime, which enhances the mystery of the book and hints at the ghostly theme. A vast shrub is also described as having an unnatural growth. There is something unusual and even sinister going on here. She also uses the term our Mandalay, setting up something for the book, doing some foreshadowing in fact, because we then wonder who the other person is and how this will work through the story. The house itself is secretive and silent, which adds to the mystery, and the grey stone shines in the moonlight, giving the setting an ethereal and mysterious feel. The windows are described as mullioned and the lawns are green. And she finishes with a metaphor that the house is a jewel in the hollow of a hand, balancing the almost sinister quality of this scene with a sense of beauty. So in just a few lines of sparse but specific description, we're shown some important themes in the book, that there will be a supernatural element to it, there is something mysterious going on, that there will be death, there will be obsession, but there will also be something beautiful happening. So I hope you can see that with just a few very specific details, you can create both character and scene. And there are two conclusions that I think we need to remember when we want to show a place or a person in our work. Both of these conclusions stem from the fact that our objective in description is to present a place or a person that the reader can believe in and understand. So these conclusions are, first, description is not a set of traits or characteristics that are thrown together. They need to work together to present something that we can recognise. And second, the reader won't understand the character or the scene if we don't understand it first ourselves. And so as writers, we need to do the hard work of reaching that understanding first of all. And this brings us back to the theme of this episode. One of the techniques I find helpful in showing character and place is to use sparse and specific detail. And I want to give you one more example to help illustrate the point. And in this example, what I want to do is to compare the descriptions of two older ladies. The first person I want to describe to you, we will call Mrs. Mills. Mrs. Mills has a son who is married. She's quite an old lady. She keeps birds. Uh, she's a widow, but she's seeking to make friends and tries to keep active. So from what I've said here, you will have some understanding of who Mrs. Mills is. You'll have some insight into features of her life, but what you won't have is any real understanding of who she is as a person. So now I want to describe you Mrs. Baxter, and I'm going to do it in a rather different way. I'm going to use some clips of dialogue from Mrs. Baxter to give you an idea of the kind of person she is. So here's Mrs. Baxter talking to one of her friends. I took Daphne's advice and I'm going out with Desmond this evening. My goodness, I feel 17 again. My son suggested I move in with his family. I laugh so much, he put the phone down. What's wrong with keeping a parakeet? Or several parakeets? 
Don't worry, dear. I'll be jumping out of the plane with an instructor. Now, my hope is that these four pieces of dialogue have given you a good understanding, not of individual features of Mrs. Baxter's life, but really of the kind of person she is. And there's a great deal that we can tell about her from what she says. So we can see that she's single, but she's going out on a date, probably for the first time in a long time. She has a son, so she's possibly widowed now or divorced. She values her independence. She doesn't just keep birds. She keeps a very particular kind of bird and has several of them. She's quite a fearless, adventurous old lady. She's going skydiving. So the real point here is that we just don't have a series of pieces of information about Mrs. Baxter. We understand who she is as a character. And this is the real objective of description. And it doesn't matter whether you're trying to set a scene for your reader or create a character in their mind. You want your reader to really understand what the place is, who the person is. So I hope this has helped you to understand how you can use sparse and specific detail to create setting and character. In the next episode of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, I'm going to talk about another technique for showing, not telling, and that's using sensory language. And that's language that engages with the five senses, sight, hearing, smell, taste and touch. And especially using the most powerful of those five senses to evoke scene and setting. And if you're wondering which sense that is, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get the next episode when it's available. For a grammar and punctuation tip in this episode... I'm going to give you a recommendation to listen to another podcast that I've only just discovered recently. Many of you will already have subscribed probably to Grammar Girl, the podcast that gives you quick and dirty tips for better writing. If you don't know it, I would encourage you to find that podcast and subscribe to it. Like the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, it's short and to the point. I found it very helpful. And in case you're wondering, no, I'm not on commission to recommend that podcast. I just thought it was useful and I hope you can check it out and you'll find it useful too. So today I have referred to two books and they are Great Expectations by Charles Dickens, which is published by Puffin Books, and Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, which is published by Virago. If you've enjoyed the Creative Writers Tool Belt, please do join our new discussion group on Goodreads. That's www.goodreads.com. Look up the Creative Writers Tool Belt group. This is now going to be the forum for comment and suggestion on the podcast. You can reach me at my website, which is andrewjchamberlain.com. My thanks to the guys at Podcast Themes for providing the theme music. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. (laughs) 